Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Come on, let's give the worship team a great hand. Come on, they always get us there. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, the fourth chapter. I want to pull a verse of scripture out of there, but I want to do some reading this morning. So uh, how many were here on Wednesday night? If you were not here on Wednesday night, I'm telling you, it's well worth your time. That's probably the top five messages I've ever done in my entire life. But the Lord was up in this place on Wednesday night. And so uh, we're going to stay in that same vein, uh, but I'm going to really just um, read something this morning. Also, too, by way of announcements, um, that if you're interested in helping us on Wednesday night with the uh, Children's Church, uh, if you will, um, if you'll see uh, Stanton uh, or Abby um, and let them know that, hey, I want to I wanna help. Uh, I would like to volunteer uh, Wednesday night to help. Uh, church, we're running about, a, I don't know, about 120, 25 kids on Wednesday night out there, so it takes a massive team to handle all that. And so anyhow, but if you're interested and you want to help do that, uh, you see them. We're going to do a class, I think, at the end of November or the beginning of December, and then we'll, uh, we'll help get you launched in to doing that. All right, so you ready to get in the Word? All right, so... All right. I want to read, this is called A Word After, and I'm just going to use this, and this is what I'm going to uh, teach from today, but this is a book called uh, The Wisdom of Tenderness, and it's written by, it's written by Brendan Manning. How many's ever heard of Brendan Manning? About five or six folk up in here. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of books right here. I just bought four more, uh, so I, I, I got them for $5. I'm selling them for 19 um, and so if, uh, anybody wants one, you can see me afterward. We will go down to 18. Uh, but, uh, but anyhow, uh, so let's just get in here. Okay. You ready? Father, we just thank you for this day. We pray you open our ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And father, we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's go here. This is a word after, and it's, um, it's in the book, the wisdom of tenderness by Brennan Manning. I want to set this story up. What you're going to see is he writes this as like he calls it a Christian imagination, if you will. And what he's writing is, is that Paul, the Apostle Paul was... Um what the Apostle Paul has been schooled and versed in the English language. He's been put in a time machine, and he's been launched into our day. So now, okay, if you're with me now. So the Apostle, the way he's writing, the Apostle Paul was schooled and versed in the English language, put in a time machine, launched into our day, and he's going to come with a prophetic word, if you will, to the American church. He is in New Orleans, and he meets this older gentleman by the name of Daniel. Daniel has is a, is a bishop, and he has been. His job is to travel across, uh, uh, travel across the United States from church to church, and come back with a written, uh, with written documentation of what he's observed in the American church. And so he sits down. He's sitting on a park bench, and the Apostle Paul has just bought a shrimp po' boy. He's in New Orleans, and he sits down on this bench, and he meets this guy named Daniel, and he begins to ask Daniel, what is the spiritual condition of the church in America? And Daniel begins to have this conversation with Paul, and then Paul, after hearing everything that he has to say, he asks Daniel, would he be able to share something uh, with, the, with the elders? And so Daniel calls a meeting, and he's got 200 of the of chief, uh, the big shots, if you will, all across the nation, and they're gathered in what is called the Corinthian Hotel, and the uh, and Paul is about to address this group of leaders. You with me? All right. So we got one person. That's my wife. Okay. The rest of you join in. 
Uh, yesterday, Daniel shared with me an, an incisive appraisal of the spiritual condition among American churches. This morning, I stopped at McDonald's for Egg McMuffin, and this afternoon, Burger King for, hold on, let me get right here. I knew I was right here. Listen to this. All right. Daniel mounts the platform, turns to the audience, and begins to speak in measured tones. My brothers and sisters, our most, extraordinary, most extraordinary thing happened to me yesterday on the levee. For three hours, I met with a man whose name is Paul, the very same Paul who inspired letters are in our Bible. I saw for myself the brand marks of Jesus engraved on his body. There is no doubt in my mind that he is who he claims to be. In his sovereign wisdom for his own loving purposes, God has chosen to visit this nation and speak tonight through, through his servant, Paul of Tarsus. My friends in Christ, I present to you the apostle to the nations. No applause, nary a whisper. The group is far beyond disbelief into rampant incredit, uh, uh, to the apostle. As the apostle reaches the podium, his eyes fix on a 45-year-old pastor sitting in a wheelchair in the first row. A spinal injury suffered in an auto accident over a decade earlier left him paralyzed from the waist down for the past 12 years. He hasn't taken a step. Paul descends the stairwell, strides directly to the paralyzed man, places a hand on his face. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Paul commands, stand up and walk. The pastor pushes the heels of both hands against the sides of his chair and with a mighty effort hoists himself erect almost casually. He ventures a first step and then a second, then another and another and another. He starts to skip, suddenly runs down the center aisle, circles the entire ballroom and returns front and center, grabs the hands of his ecstatic wife and pleads, may I have this dance? Amid gasps and soft cries of, oh my God, Paul returns to the podium. I am Paul, he announces, a slave of Jesus Christ sent on a special mission to share the word of the living God with you. Yesterday, Daniel shared with me an incisive appraisal of the spiritual condition among American Christians. This morning, I stopped at McDonald's for Ed McMuffin and this afternoon at Burger King for a Whopper. The fast food culture of this country is an apt metaphor of the state of the church. Listen to this. You're overfed and undernourished both physically and and spiritually. How many would agree with that in the places that you and I live in? Says the American church is overfed and undernourished. Let me just say this. One of the reasons why I believe it's caused this epidemic is that we have built, we have tried to build wide and as fast as we can, and we have not built deep. Come on with me, y'all right? Y'all right with me sitting down. How many knows I can spit three rows deep? All right, but listen to this. Listen to this. The National, the National Guild of Christian Therapists' latest report, latest report narrates the widespread phenomenon of, of, of the clients tormented by intense feeling of guilt, shame, remorse, and self-punishment. They concluded that these things are the dominant symptoms affecting the American church and Christianity today. What is that clients are tormented by intense feelings of guilt, shame, remorse, and self-punishment. Now, let's go to John chapter 4. I want to read a verse of Scripture. I'm just going to stop in reading this, and I'm going to use certain texts out of here and, and, and go at it from that angle. But look at this in the Word of God. Now, think about this. The deal, the pressure to build, to build wide or to build high with a poor foundation or to build fast. Are you, are you with me now? And there, that is a drive. That is a drive on most of 99% of all pastors in this nation. Because what we have built is the success model. The success model of the church means if you're running 400 people, you're far more successful than the guy running 50 people. But how many knows that you can determine big by more ways than number of people? Are you with me now? There was a pile of people gathered in the Alltel Stadium in Jacksonville, does it, but it doesn't mean that a cripple could get out of a wheelchair. Are you with me? So we want to go deep, not necessarily wide. So look at this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, this is where we were at on um, Wednesday night. We have come to an intimate expression 
with God's love. We trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to us, its full expression in us, so that we may fiercely face the day of judgment. Because that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. My God, that's good. Listen to this. Love never brings fear. What? Love never brings fear. For fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. For who has what who fears of punishment has not reached love's perfection so the goal should not be in the american church to see how many people we can pack in this building the goal should be able to reach perfection in the depths of the love of god which he has for us that's good right there come on somebody now look at this we we were at this gathering there was there was um there was uh, hundreds of young people in this room, and they were left with this last thing. They were told during worship to get in there to worship God, and one of the primary things that they were told and left that meeting is that their issue or their sin separated them from God. We must dispel that lie in this room. Even in an inferior covenant in the Old Testament, the priest at once a year when he would lay hands upon, when they would kill the sacrificial lamb and lay hands on a scapegoat. Come on somebody. The scapegoat was called in and whatever sin that my family had committed I laid, the priest would lay hands upon that goat for my sin and your sin and then that goat would go out into the wilderness. One of the problems a church has an issue with is we cannot separate the person from the issue in their life. God always separates your issue from you. And, and with the deal by teaching what, what, what we have in our lives, the issues, and let's establish this. All of us in this room have issues we are trying to work out before the Lord. No one in this room has arrived in a fully perfected state. Are you with me? Other than the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So with this, if I, if I believe, it, it goes back to this. If, if my boys are very adventurous children, they're always out in the yard. We have several pairs of muck boots around my house. If you want a good boot, that's a very good boot, by the way. And so, anyhow, let's say, for instance, they go outside and they step in one of Bo Elvis, our, golden, our, our um, cocker spaniel. He has to go out several times a day, and they step in some of his stuff. You're with me now, right, without me breaking it down further than that. If, if they step in that and it's all over their boots, how many knows that I don't want my son to come in the house with that? But how many knows I do want my son to come in the house? I simply ask him to remove the boot outside and welcome my son in the house. Are you with me? So let's look at this. We're taught mostly in the American church that your sin do not sin that you shall not be separated from God. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 4, are you there? Romans, how can you be there? I just told you. My God. I mean, I, th I, I, was, I was hoping we were going to be a prophetic church, though. That's where I'm trying to get us. <laughs> By the way, on Wednesday night, we're going to do the dream class. I got several people been after me about the dreams, and we're going to do that uh, this Wednesday night. I've just got to get all my paperwork in line. And so what the goal of that is, is to give you all the tools that I've been given and so that you can go interpret your own dreams. That's pretty cool, isn't it? All right, Romans chapter 4. Help me here. I'm struggling a little bit with this uh, Passion Translation. Listen to this. Even King David speaks of us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside of a person once God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Listen to this. Even King David, I'm in Romans 4, verse 6, even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside of a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by the blood. What happy progress, look at this, what happy progress 
progress. Look at this. What happy, what happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. I will never hold your sins against you. Now let me say this. The fear of punishment and the fear of the Lord are two different things. The fear of the Lord draws you closer to God, but the fear of punishment drives you away from God. The fear of punishment is what happened after the sin of Adam in the garden when they went and hid themselves and tried to cover themselves for, with fig leaves. We know according to Genesis 2.25, the Bible says that when God created Eve, when Adam made the proclamation over her that this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife, it ends with this, they were both naked and not ashamed. But after they ate the fruit, their eyes were open. Come on somebody. They saw their nakedness and then the fear of punishment entered in through their sin and they went and hid from God. And man has been trying to hide from God ever since. The verse of scripture that Matt quoted from the stage is the culmination of that when God says, listen, I'm going to take the stony heart out of man and I'm going to put a heart of flesh in him and I'm going to write my word on his heart. We don't have the Ten Commandments Posted at the courthouse no more. The Ten Commandments are now seared on our heart. Come on, somebody. Under the law, they're like thou shalt, like you better not. But in the under the new covenant, they're like thou shalt, a promise. You won't commit adultery. Why? Because my, my word is pinned on your heart. Come on, we've got to go deep. We've got to remove the pressure from the church to build something to make us feel successful. When our people are going deep in God, we are a success. When, the, when, when, when Christian therapists tell us that most of the people they're dealing with is shamed, how many people come to the house of God that believe the bad stuff is happening in their life is because of what they've sown previously? Now, I'm not, listen, don't take me where I'm not going. I'm not talking about smoking for 30 years, then having to face something. Come on now. But what I'm trying to tell you is we're not accountable. We're not held accountable before God for a mistake that we've made. All right. Now, I want to read you this. Pull this up. This was sent to me at the beginning of September. I think it was around midways of September. This is from Pastor Jim Rayleigh. This is a post. I'm talking about what's in the American church. What's in right here where we live. This is from a pastoral standpoint of the stress that preachers are under to be able to build some machine to make us feel successful so that our church thinks we're successful and the city thinks we're successful. How many believes that Noah was successful in obeying God? But he worked year after year just to save eight people. See, that, seemed, that, 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 that would not fly over in today's world. But let me just say this. The number one call, and I said this on Wednesday night, the number one place of my primary assignment that I am to pastor is at my house. I am to pastor and lead my family into the fullness of God. That is the job of every man in this house. Come on, somebody. It is not the youth pastor's job to lead your child into an encounter with the Lord. That should be happening in your household. Come on, church. Y'all awful quiet this morning. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is from Jim, this is from Jim Rayleigh, Raw Post. I just found out that a young pastor I had an Instagram friendship with took his own life. Jared Wilson had a wonderful, thriving church and precious family. From outside, things look incredible. But understand this, the devil gives nobody a break. He works especially hard on those who, led, who lead and love the church. Through the years, I have come to understand the church pressure of doubting yourself and even times when you're desperate to find an escape. I know, that, I know, I know what it is to have seasons where I'm simply longing for peace. That's real talk in real life. I'm shook and honestly in tears. Life is intense all by itself. Family at times is a handful for all of us. And add ministry to it and things can roll to another level. The microscope of ministry is, is so it relentless. There are Sundays when preachers stand and try to pull the folks they lead across the finish line 
while they themselves are bleeding into their boots. Behind the smile is heartbreak. Pastors, let's genuinely love and affirm one another. Spiritual fathers, rise up and be there for younger leaders who are finding their way. As a man who's done this for a lot of years, it breaks my heart to lose this young warrior. Church folks, pray for your pastor and leaders. In fact, they may have less, and may, and may we have less judging and more praying. Come on, somebody. Tonight, I'll take the time to pray for this sweet wife who lost her husband and these precious kids who lost their dad. I'll pray for this great church who lose their pastor. And I'll pray for every preacher who feels overwhelmed by this thing called ministry. Remember, preacher, Jesus loves you more than he does your ministry. So take the pressure off. Take a deep breath and do what you do with peace and joy. Find someone to talk to and give yourself a break. Your pressure will you're precious and valuable. What happens before that? What happens before that is this pressure of ministry to feel like we've got to be successful. What I wish I had when I was in my early 20s as men telling me that I don't have to have a congregation of 300 to be a success in ministry. The greatest preachers are not the ones you see on TV, friend. They're not the one with the live stream on their face. They're the ones that are faithful for 50 and 60 years, tending the flock that God gave them and leading them into the fullness of Christ. That's good preaching right there. Come on, somebody. What we want to do, what we've done is try to teach them how to have sermons instead of learning how to be men. Learn how to handle your finances. Learn how to be a husband. Learn how to be a dad. And that all ministry overflows from this place called intimacy. If what we do for God doesn't come out of that place, it is all a phony and a fake, friend. Listen, what we need to do is just live this life of intimate relationship with God drawing near to Him and everything flows from that place. Y'all all right? All right. So look at it. Listen, get the stress off of you. God ain't holding your stuff against you. Is that not good news? Is that not good news? Come on, somebody. However, listen, he, he deals with this, the fast food culture. However, there's a lot I could preach from that. Let me just say this one other thing. Because we've not approached the church as family, We've approached it as a business model, so therefore the members of the church have become consumers and not contributors. How many knows in a family that everybody's got a chore? Everybody's got something to do up in the house. When we approach it as a family, I see my place and my role in that family, and then I take my place in doing what I'm called to do. However, there's no time to waste on jerrymades and prophecy of doom, nor is it appropriate to, pillar, to, the, to pillory pastors who, like each of you, are earthen vessels with feet of clay. You must forget past failures and press on toward what lies ahead in Christ Jesus. You're living in the isness of the shall be in this interim period of salvation history. There's much to be done. First, the, the passionate pursuing love of God must be proclaimed in the season and out of season. Forceful infamous emphasis, help me, Lord, must be placed on the tenderness and mercy of God who first loved us instead of a light folly of divine love followed by heavy artillery of rule-keeping. Jesus loved the unlovely must pierce the heart of every Christian. The intellectual cognition and the experiential awareness of God are inseparable. Hint force, the primary pastoral task is quality of faith within the community. We must build Jesus in the lives of the people. This is the job of the apostolic to lay the foundation of Jesus. What I grew up thinking that the job of the apostolic was primarily is to plant churches. I, instead of planting more churches, we need to go back and start watering what we planted. Come on, somebody. Listen, I'm all for planting churches, but that's not the primary role of the apostolic. Paul said, I labored that the foundation of Jesus be, in, be formed inside of you. This is the labor, and this is the goal. The goal of every believer in this room is not to have 10,000 followers on social media. The goal in this room is to look like your elder brother, Jesus. And we will know we will start looking like him when we bear the fruit of Galatians 5. When we are kind. 
Most of the church people I know look like they have eight lemons for lunch. Come on, somebody. Nobody wants to. My God, I'm about, yeah, 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 yes. Nobody wants what you have when you are a jerk. Come on, somebody. Listen, Jesus didn't die to make you a jerk. He died to conform you into the image of his son who is long-suffering, who is kind, who is full of patience, who is full of joy, and who is full of love. We have got to come to the grips that we got a problems in the church. And we cannot continue to come to the house of God, Shandai, Kanda, see me, Toyota, Bowtie, Suzuki, Honda, whatever else you want to speak in tongues with. You with me? And act like everything is fine. All of us have issues that we're trying to overcome. So listen, we labor to Christ be formed in you. God, I want to know Jesus. Come on, somebody. God, I want to know Jesus. That's the goal. We must build Jesus in the lies. Look at this. Paul said, I labor. I labor and travail to Christ be formed in you. Note that's what he said. I labor in travail to Christ be formed in you. Most of our labor, in, our labor in prayer, God send revival. Let me interpret what most of that means. I'm not, I'm not saying this all the time. I'm just saying what it means. God send revival to my church that I may be known. Come on. God send revival to my church so that the latest, greatest person, whoever the charismatic king is, can be known. Listen to this. There was a guy that approached Brennan, and he said this. He had just graduated. He had just graduated from seminary with a doctorate degree from a Baptist theological seminary. And he approached him, and he said this. He said, Brennan, he said, I want, I want to have an international ministry just like you have. And Brennan looked dead at him and said, you've just qualified yourself from being the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the goal is not to be, the goal is not to be, the goal is to really just get into the, to have Jesus formed in this. Listen, every disciple can and will come to know Jesus through the baptism of fire. No other priority takes precedence. Nothing else matters. The greatest part of the time, energy, talent, financial resources of each local church is to be invested in this enterprise. Other ministries and projects will flourish as a direct result. Next, fraternal love will be the sign of par excellence that Christians have exactly experienced the love of God. Listen to this. Next, fraternal love will be the, the sign par excellence that Christians have actually experienced the love of God. Resting safe and secure in the tender compassion of the Lord, Christians will feel no need to pander to the approval and acceptance of others. Cordial love filled with the respect of the sacredness of human life must be your badge of discipleship. Wrangling, bickering, and backbiting signal, listen to this, signal the loss of conscious contact with Jesus. And the church is rampant with this. I'll read it again. Next, fraternal love will be the sign par excellence that Christians have actually experienced the love of God. Resting safe and secure in the tender compassion of the Lord, Christians will feel no need to pander to the approval and acceptance of other. Cordial love filled with respect for the sacredness of human life must be your badge of discipleship. Wrangling, bickering, and backbiting signal the loss of conscious contact with Jesus. All of you must quickly repent, ask for forgiveness, and waste no time. Now, our love for one another. Quit holding grudges. Listen, how many knows that Matthew 18... And all of us, let me say this, all of us are quick to judge, including the one holding the mic. I'm trying to work out my own stuff, okay? You with me? But I know this, that the church has got to have a baptism of love in these last days. When I was standing in Cairo preaching, we were talking about the abortion issue. And we were, we were talking about... Um, that how we want to see that overturned in this nation. See, let me just see. People don't understand how could an evangelical church that believes the Bible, how could they vote for Trump when knowing his background and knowing his history? The answer is simply because he is pro-life and he is the only candidate that believes in the sanctity of human life. Hello. Are you with me? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. So, but here's the thing. 
I also understand the other side of the coin because I have, I have done everything I can to educate myself and read and to study how does this happen? How, 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 how is there more African-American babies aborted in the state in New York than they are born? Hello, that's a true statement. Go home and Google, find for yourself. So here's the thing, but here's the deal. With the churches we have in this nation, we, in the, just in this nation, just the churches we have, just the churches we have in the state of Georgia, there should not be any orphan that is in this state. Come on, somebody. But because we don't want to be inconvenienced because a child inconveniences you. We don't want to be inconvenienced. But if the church is going to become the church, it is going to have to go through a baptism of love like we have never known before. This is how the world knows that we are Christians. Not how well we prophesy and give words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Not because we speak in tongues. It is because we love one another. And how can we judge a world that is disunified when we can't get Psalms 133 right in the church. This, let me just jump right here for a minute, Ben, how I'm just rambling, and I'll be done rambling in a minute. But we, as, we, we judge other people. Uh, let me just say how I want to say it. We, when one party gets in office, the evangelicals want a Republican. Some other people want something else. But when we try as to use a political spirit to drive people about divorce and all of that, look how, it rampant, look how rampant it is in the church. I'm just saying that we've got to learn how to fix the issues at the church level before we can ever judge someone else for it. So let's look at these verses of Scripture right here. Look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34. I think it's right, yes. John chapter 13, verse 34. Mm -hmm. Lord help. Look at verse 33. My dear friends, I only have a brief time. I'm reading out the Passion Translation. My dear friends, I only have a brief time left to be with you. And then you will search and long for me, but I tell you what I told the Jewish leaders. You'll not be able to come where I am. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other. But notice what he puts on it. As much as I've loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. So what does Christ, what does Jesus release to his followers? I want you to love everybody. But now he puts the measuring stick out there. I want you to love them the way I loved you. How did he love you? He loved you before you even accepted him. You know, we heard, we've heard that preach about returning back to our first love, back with passion. The first love is that he first loved you without you loving him. Here's the wonderful thing is Jesus let people, but he let people belong before they believed. He extended love and honor and let them belong to something before he asked them to believe. But we as a church want to get people that look like us and try to clean them up before they come in the walls of our church. Hello. Instead of just letting them belong. And if they will belong, they will believe. I shared this story about a kid that I grew up with who's only a year behind me. And he attended our church on Wednesday night. And almost, I mean, not maybe every Wednesday night, but most Wednesday night, he came high to church. And I didn't like that. So one Wednesday night, I got all over him. I said, man, don't ever disrespect me by coming to the house of God high again. When I got home and got in my personal place of prayer, the Lord began to deal with me. Listen to me. 
Hello. And so I shared it with a coworker that was that that was in leadership at his church. And I said, "What would you do if someone came drunk to your church?" He said, first of all, I would try to sober them up before I let them out in the congregation." How many knows that Jesus don't need no help, friend? Come on, somebody. I'm just talking to our view of how we how we view people that live different than we do, talk different than we do, and act different than we do. We're afraid of them. It's time the church believes in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that's been implanted into our lives. So what happened is, is I, I went back and told him, I said, man, you can come to our church every you can come to our church every Wednesday night. You can come on Sunday morning. Now I ain't gonna sit and let him sing on the praise team when he's high like that. They ain't tell him what he's gonna be singing. Come on now. You with me? But well, all I can do is tell you today that after, that after shooting oxycodone in his veins, 10 years he's been totally free. God's blessed him with a wife. He's blessed him with children. And God restored everything at a greater level than he ever had back into his life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. So fraternal love, what is the measure, what is the measuring line that I must love that I must love Stanton, the same measure that Christ loved me. What is the measuring line that I must love my brother whom don't look like me, whom don't act like me? What is the measuring line? The same measure that Jesus loves me. This is real simple gospel, but you would be amazed at how we don't know the real simple gospel. All right. So fraternal love's going to be a sign. What will it be a sign of? It will be a sign that... We are God's people. Now look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 20. Anyone can say I love God. Anyone can say I love God yet have hatred toward another believer. Listen to this. Anyone can say I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony. Because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? Man, that's a good word right there. Anyone can say I love God. Listen to this. Yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God? Uh, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? How does, how does hatred toward a brother dwell, uh, get in our hearts? It is very simple. Hebrews 12 talks about, talks about a root of bitterness. How does a bitter root get in your heart? It comes through offense. Now, we're instructed by Matthew chapter 18, woe to whom offenses come. How many knows this, that you're going to get every opportunity in the world to get offended in this place called the church? David said he could have handled it if it had been a thug down at, on the corner of the street. But what hurt him the most is the wound happened from inside the family. How many knows family wounds hurt the most? Come on, you with me? So here's the deal. Inside the church, what we have to establish is this is not a perfect environment. We, we try to make it. We try to make it conducive for you to encounter God, but, but we still jacked up people in here trying to, trying to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you've been in church, you say, well, I've never been offended, offended at the church. That's because you ain't been there long enough. Just keep attending. It's coming, okay? So what happens with, when offense comes, Jesus illustrates to us in Matthew chapter 18 what to do when offenses come. It says, if a brother has offended you, you are to go to that person. I have never met, I would say out of all the Christians I've ever met, less than 5% obey that word in Matthew 18. Everybody calls their own posse, start building their case, get the trial and jury on your side so that when you go see the person, you have them already convicted and tried in the courtrooms of your imagination. Come on. And so what happens when you don't deal with this, this seed begins to grow and it begins to grow and it begins to grow and it, then the, it starts turning into a seedling and before you know it, it starts getting so big that you can't hide it no more. Then when someone brings up that person to you, your blood pressure goes up. Come on, somebody. Your, your voice gets louder and you, we've got to just learn how to deal with the stuff. If we want to see a world run to the light, which is Jesus, the light is hidden in a church that is full Bitterness, backbiting, and hurts with one another. You with me? 
So we've got to choose to walk in forgiveness. How many knows that's a choice? It's not easy, but it's, but it's a choice. All right. All right. I'm almost done. Don't get excited. All right, listen. Fraternal love will be the sign of par excellence as Christians have actually experienced the love of God. Resting safe and secure in the tender compassion of the Lord, Christians will feel no need to pander to, to the approval and acceptance of others. Cordial love filled with respect for the sacredness of human life must be your badge of discipleship. Wrangling, bickering, and backbiting signal the loss of conscious contact with Jesus. All of you must quickly repent, ask for forgiveness, and waste no time. Authentic religion demands moderation in all things except love. Listen to this. Authentic religion demands moderation in all things except love. The gospel tolerates a moderate love between Christians no more than it tolerates a moderate love between God and you. As I wrote to the Romans, the one who loves his, his or her neighbor has fulfilled the entire law of Christ and the prophets of war of, of, as well. Third, the last I want to... I want, I want to address in the American church, I want the American church to go underground for the next decade. Listen to this. I, I, th- I want the American church to go underground for the next decade. Specifically, I urge you to return to the ancient practice of the apostolic church, the discipline of the secret. Maintain a tactful silence in the presence of unbelievers. Cultural conditioning has rendered much of your Christian language meaningless. When the latest perfume bears the name grace, well, you get my point, brothers and sisters. As the local church, listen to this, lowers its profile. There ain't nobody teaching this in no seminary. Nobody's teaching this model as a church planning deal. Come on, y'all. Nobody's running out saying, hey, I want you to keep the church underground. Better yet, keep it in your living room. Do what? (laughs) I mean, are you telling me, are you telling me, sir, that what you want is for me not to promote the church? Is that what you're saying? Are you telling me to... Don't worry about my live stream has to have the latest social media get up. All this, you telling me you want the church to go underground. This is what he's saying. Listen to this. Listen. As the local church lowers its profiles, let it raise the bar for membership. Every disciple, no matter how mature, must have a mentor. There's that thing again. A Christian is always in the process of becoming one. Weekly small group meetings aren't an option solely for the devout. They are a universal necessity. Those walking the way can't survive without support. The loner is a liar. Doubting Thomas didn't meet the risen Jesus alone in the woods, but when he returned to the community of faith. I want to read this once again. I know some of you looking at me like crazy. I wish he would just get up and holler at us. But listen to me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go somewhere. And I've got to lay the groundwork. And I, you, you with me? Listen, third and last, I want the American church to go underground for the, for the next decade. Now, let me just say this about this house because I have been privileged to be a part of this house for some great length of time. Uh, since I was 18 years old. So I've been a part of this house, maybe not all in the depths of it, but pretty deep in it uh, for the last uh, maybe 10 to 12, 15. But I've been a part of, of this place for 22 years. The first time I came here, I was, I was uh, 19, 21 years. I was 19. You heard the story about the first time I ever come in here. I'd never seen a smoke machine inside of a church. The smoke machines I seen was not inside of a church. Selah. I remember standing in the setting in the middle and looking up and seeing the smoke billowing in the top. And I remember telling the guy that I came with, I said, do not look up. I'm telling you right now, do not look up. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, do not look up. I said, the glory of God, like we could reduce the glory down to smoke anyhow. Come on, somebody. Just to show you where we at, how the glory is reduced down to what it is today. St. Nissi, who is considered one of the most greatest theologians and scholars of the Catholic Church, 
who worked years on writing a thesis about God and about the glory of God said he brushed God's glory one night and threw everything he had ever written about God's glory into trash because it was so beneath what he experienced was only a brush. And yet we talk about like God's glory ascending the room. If God's glory come in here, we'd all be dead. Come on, somebody. Now, listen to this. So I'm, I'm standing in here, and I see the smoke building in the church, and I look up and tell the guy I'm with, do not look up. And so he, he's, what are you talking about? So finally he looks at me. I said, my God, the glory of God is in this place. The glory. I mean, Solomon's temple, the glory of God is in here. He looked, he said, man, that's a smoke machine. So this church has always been on the cutting edge of something. Are you with me now? But for whatever reason, God chose to hide this work. This, this work is like a hidden work. Would you not agree with that, Steve? This work is like a hidden work that remains in the backside. I mean, listen, I remember a leader that pulled up here with Pastor Dale, and, and, he, and, and, and Pastor Dale asked him, he said, is there anything that you would do to change? He said this. He said, he said first of all, he said that you, you've done everything to defy every law that it is about planting a church. Number one, don't plant your church in a very small town. I met a friend, a friend of mine one time planted a church in Austin, Georgia. Have you ever been to Austin, Georgia? 200 people is the top number of people. That's how many people live in Austin, Georgia. And there's a Methodist church and a Baptist church. You better be prepared to pastor 10 people if you're planting your church like that. He said, listen, he said, you've defied, he said, number one, don't plant your church in a small town. The second thing, don't plant your church, plant, you need to have the church planted on the main drag where people can see you. This church, from its inception, defined all laws of logic of planting a church. Number one, it resides in a small town. Number two, you got to find it in the small town because we hid on the back street next to a field in the small town. Can I tell you that I believe that is the place that God destined it to be. Now, there has been times and seasons where we felt like we should get this thing on the map. All of us feel that way. All of us want to feel some level of success and I am trying to break that lie from the pit of hell out of my heart every day that I go to God. God take that out of my heart that it's got, that I got to be successful by running 400, 500, 600. Let me tell you something. What I consider the success Wednesday night, a kid that we pick up on the van named Tay Tay who's fitting to be seven years old came in my office dressed up as a pastor and he said I'm just like you Pastor John. That is the greatest success we could get from the house of God. Come on, somebody. It's time we measure what real success is. How many people's marriages are better right now than they were in January of 2019? How many people's children are loving God more than they are right now? How many houses do you go to that there's 30 teenagers up front giving everything they got to God? That is a success in this house. I can't get no help up in here. I've been, friend, I've had the privilege to preach in a lot of places. Most teenagers are sitting at the back of the church waiting for the preacher to shut up and they're on their phones waiting to get out of that building. These kids lead us every Sunday into the presence of God by modeling what worship looks like. How does that happen? That comes from two people. That is passionately pursuing the Lord. And they're simply following that. You would agree with that. I'm just telling you not to give him kudos. But I'm telling you how privileged we are to have Stanton and Abby in this house. Now. So I want you to take the church underground. This is what he's saying. Get your church underground. Are you serious? I mean, what he's saying is, listen, take the drive off of your ministry to be, to, to be what you think some people measure success by. Just simply be who God called you to be. You with me? All right. Mm-mm-mm. As the local church lowers its profile, let it raise the bar for membership. Every disciple, no matter how mature, must have a mentor. Friend, I can't stress that 
enough in this room. All of us need encouragement. Nobody's the total package. Lex Luger went into retirement a long time ago. Everyone in here needs someone to talk to, someone to speak to, someone to encourage them. I'm amazed at how many people make life decisions with their life that receive no counsel. A Christian is always in the process of becoming one. Weekly small group meetings aren't an option solely for the devout. They're a universal necessity. Those walking the way can't survive without support. The loner is a liar. Doubting Thomas didn't meet the risen Jesus in the woods. But when he returned to the community of faith. How many of you here listen to Damon Thompson's podcast? Wilderness Society, whatever. Got a few in here. You know that Damon, according to his own words, was um, was in Yellowstone, right? In the Yellowstone Park. And he went for this week-long journey or two-week-long journey to seek God, and he's got a backpack, and he's in Yellowstone Park. And he finds this little white chapel in the midst of Yellowstone, and he goes in there, and he starts praying and seeking the Lord, and he tells God this, I would give anything to pastor this church right here. Now, here's a guy that has made it as what the world would call success. He's on major platforms. He's flying in a plane. I mean, he's just, he's just doing the stuff. And yet he has this encounter with God in Yellowstone. And the following day, he was scheduled to fly out to go where thousands of people were going to be in attendance. And he was going to preach that. And so anyhow, this encounter leads to what you see him doing up there where he's at. Now, let me just say this. When I went to Batesburg, You about have to own a four-wheel drive or a truck to even live there. The roads, I mean, thank God for the Georgia DOT. I'm just telling you right now. Y'all don't, don't mock them when you ride by and there's five people leaning on a shovel and one down there working. We got some decent roads. Up there, hey, it was so bad when we got back, Terry had to change his transmission out. <laughs> That's not a joke, is it? Two days later, transmission gone. I was up there trying to travel. Now, here's another thing. Where this church is at, within 150 yards, there's a chicken plant. How many would love to be worshiping God with 150, I mean, I mean 150 yards to, to the left or just to the side of it is a chicken plant? How many knows that makes a sweet aroma unto the Lord? And so he gets up there and he hides himself in South Carolina. When he starts doing this, many leaders begin to begin to mock him and say, hey, what are you doing? You're just hiding out in South Carolina because you've been hurt by the church. You're hiding out. But he said, but, but in his own words, he said, I really feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do. And so what he's done is he's reduced the church down to a church that only hold 100 people. How do you get I mean, how do you go from being on stage with 1,000, but now you just want to be in a room with 100 people? Because he believes that if we, can if we can change a person's thought process to become legacy-minded, that you're not living here just for yourself, but what you will leave behind. When I prayed the prayer this morning over my tithe, I believed that long after I'm gone, it's going to affect my family. Let me tell you a story that I was going to share with you during the offering. I'm fixing to close and we'll go home. That I, met, I was meeting with this leader and he was sharing with me about giving an offering. And he said it was at a time that they, they were just, they were, in his exact words, he said, man, I made $350 a week in ministry trying to raise three kids and, and a wife. That seemed, that's, how many knows that's difficult? But yet that play has played out over and over and over. See, he was trying to be entrepreneurial doing things, and don't laugh at this. He had started this little old small business that most people wouldn't even think about. 
And so he had, he had sold some of the assets from that for $3,500. And they so desperately needed that $3,500. Well, at the time he sells it, listen to this, the pastor is fixing to buy another house. And the pastor needed $3,500. It was something that he needed the $3,500 for. And so my friend prayed about it, and he felt like he was to give the $3,500. And he said, he said, what's crazy is I cannot believe, as broke as we were, that my wife would even agree to give him the $3,500. But she did. And he said, we gave the $3,500. See, anyhow, go, time goes on. How I many knows a lot of things happens in time? Whatever it goes on, they get to this real hard place. And so finally, he, he gets clean out of the ministry, goes back to college, and is now working a total separate job. It rocked on about 10 years, and him and his wife, because of when he went back to school, they lived in a 900-square-foot rental house. 900-square-foot rental house with four children. God, Lord Jesus. Come on. <laughs> and uh, so they're getting ready to buy a house or to build. So anyhow, in the, they go out looking for houses or whatever, and they come in this subdivision, and this is a guy that owned this whole subdivision. He built houses, and he sold them. And so this builder come out and talk with him, and he said, man, he said, I would love to build you a house at the end of the road. He said, I have one lot left in there. So he went down there and looked at the lot, and he said when he looked at the lot, he could see his kids playing. He said it was like he had just a vision. He said he just had the perfect peace come over him about that lot. But he said inside he knew that he could. there's no way that he could afford to have that man build the house that was in the subdivision. So his wife gets all excited. Come on, man. You know what? You know how when the woman gets excited, you're trying to you're trying to come up with the math. Am I the only one? Come on now. So anyhow, um, <clears throat> so he rocks on and he realizes that he's gonna have to have a little bit more than what he's got. So he's trying to think about what he's gonna do. And he said, he prayed and said, Lord, I'm asking you. He said, I know, that, I know that I may not have done everything right over the last 10 years, but I'm asking you to help me, and I'm asking you to remember me. Two days later, knock on the door. Guy pulls up to his house, and he said, man, I want to meet with you. He met with him, and he said, we've been praying. And he said, I feel like I'm to help your family out. And he said, we just want to give you this little token. They go inside or whatever, leave or whatever, and him and his wife sit at the table, and they open that envelope, and there's $100,000 in that envelope. Man, I feel the Lord come all over. Let me tell you something, friend. God never forgets what we sow, what we give. He never forgets, and he always brings it back, pressed down, shaking up, multiplying, and rolling over. I'm telling you this, what I have found to be true, sitting in my place, that sitting in my personal place with God, what I've been through a lot of things in my heart this year, trying to do all of this, but this is what I come back. As I said, God, there's no doubt that you called me to Sparks, Georgia, to get in that place right there in that field to work. Listen to this. My job is not to build some great edifice in this city. My job is not to put as many numbers as in this room, but my job is to fill every container in this room and lay the foundation of Jesus Christ and to tell you that God loves you, listen to this, and to build a family where we authentically love one another that's not fake Christianese where you smile. Come on, somebody. And veneered people walk in the room, but we really do care about people. That's a good word right there. All right, I'm fixing to be done. Let me finish this up. We'll be, we'll be out of here. I don't know why it always goes to... Uh, listen to this. At the dawn of the 21st century, it become too easy to become a Christian, to be a Christian. Numerically, your churches will shrink if you follow my recommendation because seekers old and new weigh the cost of discipleship, and many will find it excessive. Don't be alarmed. Growth will develop slowly from the inside out as seekers' hearts are touched by hidden acts of mercy. Your faithfulness will be measured by your willingness to go where, 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 where there's brokenness, loneliness, and human need. What are you, what are you to draw from the life of the master, the knowledge that love and mercy are the most powerful forces on earth. That is so good right there. The knowledge that love and mercy are the most powerful forces on earth. The discipline of the secret will disentangle the church. Listen to this. The discipline of the secret will disentangle the church from the culture of... Um, 
accretions, devotional, and deviations, and the religious baggage of the past. Fierce loyalty to Jesus Christ and the witness of the fiery mercy to sinners will restore more credibility uh, to the Christian claim. Only he who believes is obedient, and only she who is obedient believes. Success in ministry along with the knowledge of Scripture mastery, mastery of biblical principles must never be confused with true discipleship. These superficial signs of faith may be corruption, of, may be the corruption of the discipleship. If your life is it hidden with Christ in God, dear brothers and sisters, revive the drooping spirits of your people, banish all anxiety and fear, remind the saints that the crucified one reigning in glory has prevailed over every principality. That is good news right there. Power and dominion has disarmed them, made a spectacle of them, discarded them like garments and led them captive in the victory procession. This is what we want to mind you every time we gather in this building. We are gathering under the lordship of Jesus. Come on somebody. And every problem we bring in here, whether it be sickness, disease, torment, whatever it is, must bow to that lordship of Jesus. My God, I wish I had somebody. Do you? Let me tell you how powerful our worship service. How many members a couple weeks ago when we gave the word of knowledge about when I talked about the lady with the lump in the breast? How many members that word of knowledge we gave? And we prayed for two people, but I, I prayed for the two people, but I did not believe that was the, what the word of knowledge was about. There was a person sitting in this building that had to go for surgery the following day that did not come down. Come on, somebody. That did not come down. Had to get a mask removed, and they were freaked out about it. It. Listen to this. The doctor goes in to get the, the deal, and when they get there, they do some scans, and it is not there. The doctor cannot believe it, but everything's totally out of the body. So the doctor comes in and said, Listen, I don't know who's praying for you, but have them to pray for my wife that she can get a miracle just like that happened in a worship set. Come on, somebody. My God, I long for the day that we don't have to call people down here and lay hands on them from healing. Healing just occurs because you come in the building. Whew, my God. Let me tell you this. There will be people that will drive to come to this building for healing that will get healed and leave to go back where they're from. I'm telling you, that's the realm that God is doing in this place. My God. This is what she said, God, I don't even, she said, I can't, she said, I can't even go down there. But she said, God, if that word is real, let it be for me right now. And instantly God healed her. We, oh my God. Banish all anxiety and fear. Remind the saints that the crucified one reigning in glory not will prevail, but has prevailed. Not, not is he going to, he has already. We don't have to come in here to fight for breakthrough. We walk in breakthrough. We live in breakthrough. Come on, somebody. We don't ask God for the anointing. We have already been anointed in this place. Whew, my God. Pastor Parson, you said I wake up and eat my Wheaties under the anointing. Come on, remind the saints of crucified, reigning in glory has prevailed over every principality, power, and dominion. He's disarmed them, made a spectacle of them, discarded them like, gar like garments, and led them captive in his victory procession. When the signature of Jesus branded on my body, I, Paul, servant of the Messiah, kneel before the Father and pray that out of his infinite glory, he may give you the power to help your hidden self grow strong. Oh, my God, let us be tucked away in a prayer room somewhere. I'm telling you right now, I man, I know somebody, some of you looking for goosebumps and all that. That's what's killing us right now. Father, I bless us with the secret place of the Most High that you fascinated about your prayer closet. Come on, somebody, you fascinate. You get, you get aware of what is inside of you, friend. Listen, you, you get, when you get aware of what's in, listen, John Paul Jackson said this, when, when God becomes real, tra a transformation, when the reality of God becomes real to a person, the transformation is, absur is absurd after that. Come on, somebody. How many knows that? Help your hidden self grow that Christ may live in your heart through faith. 
I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb its depth. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Raise your hands. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you that great things are happening in our lives. Father, I thank you, Lord, to help us get to the simplicity of the gospel, and it is about being in love with you. That's it. There's no height, there's nothing no greater than that place of just simply being fascinated with the living Christ. I pray the reality of God and the reality of the living Christ would become real to every person under the sound of my voice. Let it be real to the teenager that they know that Jeremiah 33 and 3 is for real, that they could call upon you and they could hear you answer them. Father, I pray that when they're walking down the hallways and things are hard and tied at the school, Father, I thank you that they could walk with the revelation that you are the Christ on the inside of them that you can help us overcome every obstacle. For the person that is struggling, God, with sin in this room, give them a revelation of the living Christ that has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Father, I pray let this truth sink deep into our hearts that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but yet you are always with us. I thank you that my failure never has separated me from you, Father, but you have been constantly with me, Father. I thank you that you are a good dad. Let us wipe away way the religious the, the religious thing listen to this how many knows who Havilah Cunnington is you people good I'm just testing out there to see where we at you know what I'm saying how many knows God's done something since the Gaithers made the made the renewal video <laughs> she posted this little thing that uh, Catherine showed me and it simply says this religion religion and she had a minus point she said I've messed up my dad is going to kill me 98% of the mentality in the church. Religion, I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Then she had underneath that, gospel, I've really messed up. I need to go talk to my dad. In the face of failure, how do we respond tells us where we're living at, friend. If you run and hide and try to work it out three days before you go back to God, that tells you where you're living at. In reality, when Adam messed up, all God wanted him to do was own up to the reality where he was living. But instead of repenting, he throwed the blame game. Come on, somebody. Adam was the first victim of the New Testament because he rendered himself powerless before God. All he should have shown was a powerful sonship and said, listen, God, I have messed up, and God would have fixed it right there. And all through history, we see that self-protection. We see it grow. We see it grow. We see it grow till we see the, accum the accumulation of that deal when, they, when the Pharisees pinned Jesus on the cross and had him killed. What they were saying is we're still protecting ourselves and we're going to live the way we want to live. The first place religion shows up in the Bible is Cain and Abel. And it's when God told Cain, he said, if you do good, come on, somebody. That's all I'm asking. But what he, he, he said this. I'm going to do it my way. Listen, there's only one way to do it, friend. That's God's way. So, Father, I pray I pray today, Father, that we would leave this house encouraged, strengthened. I pray, Father, for a great week. In Jesus' mighty name, give God a great God bless you, and let's go. We'll see you here Wednesday night. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.